When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So, grab a cuppa and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to The Lowdown with Brave Mama. Now, you guys have probably already noticed that I am not your normal host. This is not Brave Mama Steph. In fact, my name is Laura Byrne and I am from a different podcast. I am from Life Uncut, but today... One mama asked another mama for a hand. And unfortunately, Steph has completely lost her voice. She's still recovering from sickness. And she wanted to ensure that you were still able to tune into this episode and listen to this important conversation for World Continence Week. Today, you'll hear from Janine, a nurse continence specialist who unpacks what it means to be incontinent and how to move through that journey to becoming continent again. Now, she shares some practical tips on where to start if you're experiencing any type of leakage and assures us that no leakage is normal, which is a surprise to me because let me tell you, when I do a few box jumps, well, things are not as they used to be. Common, maybe, but not normal. So if this is you, you can tune in today to hear how and where you can start to get the help that you deserve. Now, just before we jump into this chat with Janine, did you know in recognition of World Continence Week, Brave Mama has a brand new book with the top tips and tricks for women living with prolapse. It launched just a few days ago and has already received such incredible feedback from the women in our community, including this from Susie R. Susie, if you're listening, thank you for writing this in. Oh, Steph, if I had access to this book way, way, way back when my girl was born, it would have been amazing. There is a link in the show notes if you'd like to find out more or how you can go and grab yourself a copy. But in the meantime, let's get into the show. Hello, Janine. It is so lovely to have you with us today. And I know you're going to be sharing with us so much valuable information about incontinence. So let's kick off by finding out a little bit about your background in this space. Okay. Thanks, Stephanie, for having me today. Basically, my background, I was a midwife or general nurse first, then, of course, a midwife for several years and worked in delivery suite a lot at the women's in Victoria. Then post that, I did maternal child health and I'm still currently working as a maternal child health nurse at an early parenting centre. After I did my maternal child health, I thought I needed to do something else and it was either become a lactation consultant or do continence. I was always interested in continence nursing. And so I've been a continence nurse as well, probably for about 14 years now. Wow. Yeah. So I feel like I need to correct myself a a little bit there because I said incontinence. I think when you have incontinence, you only know it as being incontinent. But maybe you could just start by giving us like a really basic definition of what is the difference between continence and incontinence. Okay. Well, I guess most continence nurses don't want to consider themselves as being incontinent for one, which is why we like to look on the positive as being continent. Yes. So continent is basically that you have full control over your bladder and bowel function. 
Yes. Incontinence is experiencing any type of leakage from your bladder or bowel. Okay. And it's any leakage. It doesn't matter how small. Mm-hmm. It's not normal. Okay. So those little commercials we see as a joke on the TV that laugh and giggle about LBL and light bladder leakage and mm. just throw a pad in. That's not normal. That's what we're it's saying. It's definitely not normal. Okay. And there really is, it, it's a marketing ploy. There is no such thing as, you know, light bladder leakage. Any bladder leakage is not normal. Okay. I love that we just started there. Let's just go straight in the deep end. Who would be the type of person that could experience bladder or bowel leakage? Well, basically it can happen through the whole lifespan. Okay. So it really doesn't matter who you are. Everyone can certainly experience leakage and any leakage is not normal. Women are certainly more prone to incontinence than men. Okay. And we know about 70% of people can experience urinary leakage. Yeah, sure. And about 38% of women experience urinary leakage. So it's quite a common problem, mm-hmm. but saying that it isn't normal. We also know that about half of women living in the community with urinary continence are under the age of 50. So it's quite common for your younger women as well. It doesn't just affect older people. And I think part of that, you know how you just called it, you know, that market employees at every, because when you look at those commercials, the ladies are 60, 70 plus. And so you do associate it with ultimately an older person's condition. Mm. But it can really affect anyone. And certainly women who have had a baby or are pregnant are are certainly more at risk. Yes. I guess the, the thing that we need to stress here that any leakage isn't normal and it can happen to anyone at any age. And you even hear teenage girls, you know, right through can experience some leakage at different stages and they should really be assessed because there is help available. It can certainly be cured or managed a lot better. Yes. I think it was um, just recently a lot of news stories have come out, haven't haven't they, about our Olympic athletes, especially gymnasts, who are 13 years old and they are sitting in a puddle of urine because, Mm -hmm. and funnily enough, because their pelvic floors are too tight, not because they've had children where they're lax and they've had stretched muscles. Yeah, no, it, it is actually quite common. I can remember on the, because I also work on the National Continents Helpline Okay. and talking to an elite years and years ago. And she said that their whole team had bladder dysfunction. When I say bladder dysfunction, leakage mm. from a really young age, from that those young teenage years, which is really scary because we sort of think that they're going to be really fine. But if your pelvic floor is also too tight it doesn't now know how to switch on Mm. when you increase pressure like intra-abdominal pressure because your pelvic floor is at the base of Mm. your whole core yes if that makes sense so these muscles the hammock at the the base of your core are taking the full brunt of everything above yes and if they can't switch on and tighten when you need them to, you are going to experience leakage. And sometimes people's pelvic floors are just so tight, they don't sort of move. They don't contract or expand. Yes, yeah, mm. yeah. 
So they're just like solid rock. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and people think, oh, I'm just going to go and do 50 Kegels and tightness can be because then that's going to fix the problem. But I think that story that you just shared about the trampolinist is important because it's not always the solution. How would someone recognise that it could be an issue? So sometimes, you know, like I've done it in my 20s, you jump on the trampoline and you have one or two drops of urine because you are holding on because you need to go, but you stopped it for whatever reason. You haven't taken the time. Is there a tipping point if it happens more than once? Is it more than 10 times where you actually have to stop and think, okay, this might be a problem. I might need to get some help. I think as soon as you experience that site leakage, it probably means that something's going on. It's worth being assessed, knowing how to do pelvic floor exercises correctly. Because we know that over 50% of people who do pelvic floor exercises just by a brochure aren't doing them correctly. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> so some people can think that they're drawing up their muscles, but they're actually putting pressure on them. And mm-hmm. so they're not strengthening, they're weakening, but they really don't know that. Yes. This next is, this is not actually a question directed at you to have mm. the answer, but because I have a curious mind, I'm now thinking, should I ditch that bloody trampoline in my front yard for my kids? <laughs> Honestly, I think, Look, am I going to give my daughter a, a bum steer if I give her the trampoline and she's jumping? Am I contributing to her pelvic yeah, floor dysfunction? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a really interesting question. I I take it your daughter, though, isn't on the trampoline for eight hours a day, whereas an elite athlete probably is. Okay. And so that's probably one of the the main differences. Yeah, there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that that would be what I, you know, I would be thinking. But if she said to you, I'm having some leakage, you know, through Mm. it, then you may, you know, need to reassess it and just look at, at what else is going on with her. I guess that just opened another can of worms because I think our children, and she's six, uh, sometimes will wet her pants because she hasn't made it to the toilet in time. As a parent, is there any type of red flags we could be watching out for if our children are having multiple accidents after toilet training? Yeah, look, if they do start to, like if they've been reliably dry and then they start wetting again, Mm. that's certainly a red flag. Okay. If they do start to wet more often, like if it's not just at that real occasional and you as a mum think, oh, they've really held on too long or too we just couldn't get, we couldn't find a toilet. And, yes. Yeah. Um, then they may have that occasional accident. But we really don't expect children to be, you know, regressing and starting to wet again. And if they do, certainly give us a call on the National Continents Helpline. You'll give our number or? Yes, we'll definitely, we'll put a link in the show notes, but I do, while we're there, let's talk about that because I would love for our listeners to understand what the helpline can do and what it possibly can't do so Mm -hmm. that when they call, there's really some clear expectations about what support they can receive from you. Okay, so the National Continence Helpline is a national service. It's manned or womaned by continence nurses. Okay. So we're all continence nurses on the phone and we do all have varying experiences as well. So it's a really good team Mm -hmm. and we can give practical advice basically from toilet training right through the lifespan. Oh, so it's not just for women in this. No, and for men. And women. Oh. So we can also do prostates and okay. those children sorts of too? things. And children, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Oh so a couple God. of us have a special interest in children with 
myself being maternal child health and having worked in a, a clinic with children as but I've also worked in a clinic adults as well both men and women okay so we all have different experience so we can give practical advice and management advice referral source so we do have clinics that That's like great. throughout Australia where you can go and get help both public and private and we do have both public and private physios on our database as well so also there are physiotherapists who have done extra post-basic training in pelvic floor rehabilitation so basically you don't want to go to a physio who's interested in knees and joints when you've got an issue with your pelvic floor you want to see a specialist pelvic floor physio so they can assess you properly and help guide you to how to do the exercises properly but also they'll be able to guide you regarding an exercise regime yes as well that that's appropriate for you it's more individual and I'm so glad you brought that up Janine because we just an hour ago we were talking with someone else about this that to be able to really change this space I think I don't know if this is the right thing, but I think the education on pelvic floor needs to be embedded throughout all of physiotherapy and not just a specialist field because we are seeing so many women who are having pelvic floor dysfunction and incontinence by bowel or bladder. How can that be only for the people who need to specialise? You know what I mean? Yeah, look, I guess it's like any area of any discipline that you you work in. Mm. It's like for instance, like nurses the same, is that, yes, we do have generalist nurses and they have some basic understanding. But then you're best to go to a continence nurse to find out more than nitty-gritties and really what you can do. And I think that's the same with the physiotherapists, is that some physios will do thoracic, for instance. They'll do lungs and chest. So they're great if you've got asthma, you've had open heart surgery, mm-hmm. pneumonia. So they're good for those areas that a pelvic floor physio is a specialist in that area. So I guess it's a bit like going to your G, like you've got your, your GP. GP who will have a basic idea of women's health or stuff. But then if we have any issues as women, we'll think, oh no, we want to go to a gynecologist or a urogynecologist yes, that makes because sense. we want that specialty. And I think that's the same with the pelvic floor. If someone's particularly like continence nurses, continence physiotherapists with women may actually do an internal examination. So mm. you you want to make sure that those professionals know what they're feeling for. Yes. And that's yes. where having a specialist that they understand all the ins and outs. And so you do get the best outcome and the best advice and support yes, to improve and I, things. I think everyone would agree with that. I think, I guess I'm just... More because I'm flabbergasted with the amount of people that this affects, I think there needs to be more of it because I know women who have been on waiting lists to get into a pelvic floor specialist physio for months and in that time they just have to suffer. So that's probably where I was thinking, well, we just need to get more of it. I'm just trying to fix the issue. I guess one of the problems is, I guess, going public and private. And Mm -hmm. and that's another debate for another time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But as far as when we go on a a public waiting list, we can be waiting, unfortunately, a lot longer than any of us would like, no matter what condition that is. Whereas if you can afford to go privately, 
you may get in sooner. And some people may be able to access through their GP like an EPC form and an enhanced primary care plan. So some of that can be bulk billed through Medicare. So they're not out of pocket as much if they don't have private health insurance. But even when you've got private health insurance, you can still be out of pocket, basically charge what they want. So you need to know that up front. Definitely, that's a good tip Um, there. I guess the other thing is if you have got someone who's been referred to someone who's experiencing bladder or bowel issues and they're waiting, they can always give us a call on the helpline too. So we can just go through some practical things with them to try to allay their anxiety, but also to give them some basic things that they can go ahead with to try to start improving things so they don't get worse. In the meantime. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Let's talk about some statistics. I've never really been a fan of only focusing on statistics because we then remove the human element out of it and we just talk numbers. And being in this childbirth trauma space, I have seen statistics thrown across the room and back and forth just to to really get across a point of the person saying it. So they're very, very self-validating for the yeah. person's message. And by that, I mean, we talk about the birth rate of cesareans is too high and this and that, but I'm always thinking, what about that poor mum in the middle who probably needed that or wanted that and what's wrong with that? Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. but when it comes to continence and incontinence, When people start to hear, and you're going to share with us in a moment, some of the numbers, they're shocked, like jaw-dropping shocked. So I'll let you step in there. What are we talking? Okay. So basically we know about one in three women who have ever had a baby wet themselves or have experienced some urinary incontinence. So it is very common, Mm. but I guess that's the other thing is bringing it back that it's still not normal. Yes. Fecal incontinence um, affects about 10% of women as well. Okay. And about 44% of those women who are living in the community are Mm. aged under 50. So it is something that women of all ages can experience. And of course, it's more common if you've had a traumatic delivery. So if you've had a prolonged second stage, so you've been pushing Mm. for a long time. What are we talking in a long time? Because I'm going to call upon your midwifery skills here. What is that, an hour, two hours? Yeah, look, for your first baby, we don't want, you know, it shouldn't be over two hours. That's for your first baby. Subsequent babies, yeah, it shouldn't be over an hour. Okay. We certainly don't want, um, but you shouldn't really be pushing. You can be in second stage for that long is what I, is really what I'm saying. You can be in second stage for that long, but we don't want you pushing constantly for that, for, that, for that amount of time. It's just really, yeah, it's too long. If you're not making progress, you're not making progress. You shouldn't be pushing for that amount of time sure. by any means. Okay. The uh, instrumental deliveries, if you've had an instrument, so if you've had a vacuum extraction or a forceps delivery, you're certainly much more likely Mm-hmm. Uh, to experience issues. If you've had a third or fourth degree tear, yes. that also makes you more prone to uh, faecal incontinence okay. as well. And anyone who's had a third or fourth degree tear, they should really uh, see a pelvic floor physio and often there is follow-up within the hospital, hopefully, just to check on that. And sometimes faecal incontinence doesn't raise its head 
until postmenopausal as well. Oh, right. Um, and it may have been an injury to the anal sphincter, but it mightn't become evident until a bit later in life. And that's where I guess if we can be doing pelvic floor exercises regularly and know how to do them properly, that hopefully we can help to prevent that from happening Yes. Yes. as we age. As you were kind of talking about the different things that, that can lead to incontinence, I was like, yep, all, all of those, all of the above. I think traumatic births sometimes have all of the above. And then I was referred to the hospital publicly afterwards. But I will say that for anyone who has or is going through that process now, I was encouraged very positively by the physiotherapist that I was doing really well. But honestly, now looking back in retrospect on the inside, I still could not feel my pelvic floor. I couldn't engage it at all, Janine. And if that is you, I feel that we sometimes fall into the trap of being a good patient. and like, oh, great. Thank you. Off I go. And then you get home and you still feel terrible. I would encourage you to go somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. You need to make sure that you're feeling confident and that you're not just appeasing the health professional <laughs> that you've seen, that, that you know what you're doing so you can take what you've learnt home and do those exercises properly. But if you really feel as though you're not gaining anything that because physios also have some other tricks and things that they can do to help you stimulate your pelvic floor. Yes. I certainly don't advise people to go and get uh, weights and cones and stuff, which you can get for your pelvic floor off the internet and those oh, sorts Christ. of things. Yes. Without being assessed and guided by a health professional properly because, yeah, there's so many gimmicks out there and you could be doing more harm than good. And I would get really frustrated when I see, predominantly in that social media space, influencers or someone selling these type of products promising to fix mm. your prolapse especially yeah. the yoni eggs and all of the jade eggs and they say and I'm so glad you you addressed that because I know from my perspective I've always been told to stay away from it now we're hearing it from a professional you mm. need to be assessed by an expert physiotherapist I've never heard of a physiotherapist ever recommending any of that stuff but it's just good to have that awareness that if someone is trying to sell you a product to magically fix you, just look into it a bit more. Be a bit cautious, yeah. right? And they will be able to certainly guide you what's the best mm. thing that may help you yes. to isolate the correct muscles. You know, there are a few things that can help enhance that. But, yeah, they're the best people to go and see to help you with that yeah. and of course anyone who's had a really large baby over four kilos you're going to be more prone to pelvic floor <laughs> dysfunction as well yeah uh, one of those so, as well yeah yeah it sounds like you had the, the full gamut <laughs> the yeah. full works and also I think it's it's also nice to acknowledge our prolapsed mummers who also have avulsions of their pelvic floor so that there is an element to there will be no amount of Kegels or pelvic floor lifts that I will do that will actually reattach that muscle to the bone. So yes, it's warranted to strengthen the surrounding muscles, the glutes, the legs and everything else. But for the parts that are torn, you have to also come to terms with that. At this current point in time, 
that is the way it is. And your healing process may start on the everything else to do with you. With prolapse, if it's a level, so basically, yeah, you've got different phases of prolapse. If it's a level one or two prolapse, certainly your pelvic floor exercises can help reduce that prolapse and mm-hmm. stop it from getting worse. Mm. If it's a level three or four prolapse, then that's a bit trickier. But as you said, you can hopefully help stop it from getting worse. But you may eventually need surgery for that or a pessary. Yes. Particularly if you're looking at having more children and stuff that don't generally want to run in and do surgery because may have trouble again later. But Correct. there are pessary rings that can be inserted into the vagina to hold back that prolapse and put it back in 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 place. And I know that the Continence Foundation does have some really good information about prolapse as well. I know that I know our conversation today is mainly talking about continence, but that prolapse and incontinence generally are found together. So if you've got incontinence, there's it's very likelihood that you have prolapse as well. Is that correct? Yeah, look Maybe, maybe, like certainly women who have had a baby are more mm. likely to have a, a slight prolapse anyway, even though you might know about it. Sure. I guess the other thing you've got to think about is some women say, oh, I had surgery for my prolapse and it's caused me to be incontinent. Oh, it's yes. It's not the, the prolapse surgery that's caused you to be incontinent. You would have been incontinent if you didn't have the prolapse. If everything was where it was supposed to be, you probably would have been experiencing leakage but sometimes the prolapse um, sort of puts pressure on the urethra so you don't experience leakage the same. And it creates a kink and likewise when you put a certain type of pessary you end up finding that you start to become incontinent and it's not because of the pessary it's because it's unkinked your urethra and it's allowed to flow easier which it's the worst of Two evils, isn't it? It's like, do I live with a prolapse and no incontinence or do I have relief from the prolapse and have a bit of incontinence? (laughs) And I guess that comes back to strengthening those pelvic floor muscles. Okay. It's really important. Also, if you're overweight too, we know just losing five kilos can make a difference to your pelvic floor. Okay. You mean Um, in terms of the prolapse or incontinence? I haven't heard that one. Everything. Because again, it's pelvic floor that's taking the brunt of the whole core so if if you're carrying a whole lot of extra weight the muscles at the bottom are taking the brunt of that yeah actually that does make a lot of sense Janine because during COVID I think everyone had a few COVID kilos of chippies and whatnot on them and I was more symptomatic at some point kind of at the end because during COVID we were not going anywhere and it was less symptomatic it was actually quite Mm. nice but then when we started getting back into the world and still heavier, I think I was about five kilos heavier, you did notice it. You, you, you felt the pressure. And that's why sometimes incontinence can be more likely postmenopause because a lot of postmenopausal women will put on a few more kilos as well. So we do have to be mindful of that right through the lifespan as well. And I guess that's one reason too, when you're pregnant, you know, you're, you're gaining that weight of the baby the other thing is in the first trimester a lot of women can experience some leakage the relaxant kicks in just to start relaxing the ligaments and those sorts of things early in the first trimester and then again in the last trimester as well and so things aren't as tight as Mm. they would normally 
be, yeah, just so you can stretch and allow the baby to expand your abdomen and your pelvic area too, that the ligaments, you know, particularly start to get softer before delivery. Okay. On our website, Pelvic Floor First, I don't know if any of your listeners have logged on to that. They will be now. Yeah, it's a really good website to look at. It was put together by Australia's leading health women's physiotherapists. Okay. And it's just about safe exercise and the pelvic floor. There is uh, some information antenatally and postnatally as well. I think a lot of women that I see as well, sometimes they're really eager to shed those baby kilos oh, and get back into bag. running and Come on. Um, all those things because of course all the magazines have the, the latest movie stars who yes. but you've got to remember they've also got full-time carers and cooks and yes. everything else around them but yep. even still we shouldn't be hitting the pavement starting you know running straight after birth Mm. because that relaxing is still in your system and it takes about four months to get back and if you are someone who has been going to the gym a lot or you know exercise is really big for you it is worth checking in with a pelvic floor physio to see whether those exercises are right for you now or whether you have to modify them and you just want to slowly ease back into it so you know initially you know when you have your baby, that you are just going for walks outside with your baby. It's good for your mental health, of course, to get that fresh air and things. Mm -hmm. Try to leave the gym just a little bit longer until you do start to recover and and feel better. And when you say gentle walks, do you mean you're not walking for 10 kilometres, even though you're doing it, even though you're not running, still just being upright in that position could still be the relaxant and it can still contribute. So you just mean like a general little... Yeah, stroll yeah, around yeah. the block, you know. Yeah, yeah, just start off Get lightly. Yeah, yeah. Because you might I go think... for a half hour walk or something, okay. but but maybe not a two hour walk, you know, yeah, initially. Heels. And yeah, just just slowly increase it and and listen to your body. Mm. I think that's one of the really important things is listen to your body. And if you experience any leakage, yes. that exercise isn't isn't the right one for you. Okay. The other thing, I guess constipation is a really a big thing and it can be a big thing uh, whilst you're pregnant too, again, with the relaxing and those sorts of things. You don't want to be straining to open your bowels. Mm. You're best to use a laxative than to be straining. Or look, you know, look at your diet first. If there's anything yes. you can bring in with your diet, More you know, water. pears, yeah, warm prunes, water with kiwi fruit. lemon is generally yeah. helpful. We have a lot of this in the Brave Woman community where we talk about how to position yourself on the toilet, how to use your foot. I mean, so like your, your footstool, yeah. and then how what to say with your words. We learned this from Bernadette. Her name is, and she does core and floor restore, and she's amazing. And she taught you how to. So there is a moo poo method where you like moo and make that shake with your mouth. I'm sure you've seen. <laughs> but she taught me personally how to do the ucha method. And every single time it works and you can hear, I can hear my children. I'm like, oh God, they've had too much junk food this weekend. They're all charring on the toilet. But then when it works, they say, oh, mummy, that came out quick. I'm like, yes, thank goodness. Because it works every time. Yeah, it's really important, as you said, that your feet are well supported. Yes. And ideally for your knees to be slightly that higher than your hips. And then straight back, but you bend forward from the hips, hands, elbows on the knees. Because at the end of the bowel, there's a bit of a corner. By sitting in that position, it helps to straighten it. So it's much easier for the bowel motion 
to come, come out. out. Yep. But you shouldn't be straining yes. to go. And a good time to sit on the toilet also is about 20 minutes, half an hour after a meal. Oh, okay. Particularly breakfast because normally the contents of the bowel just move forward and back. But 20 minutes, half an hour after a meal, the contents can propel forward 30, 40 centimetres in the bowel. So wow. that's why it's a good time to take advantage of that reflex. I know it's really tricky if you do have <laughs> children and stuff and if you've only got one toilet in the house and you all have breakfast together. <laughs> but it's a really good habit for us all to get into and for, even for your children. If they can do that poo before going to school, it can really help. That will yeah. also eliminate that whole scared of doing a poo at school and then they yeah. hold on till 3.30. So I love that tip. I've never heard of that. That's gold. Then we get the phone calls saying, <laughs> my child's severely constipated us because they've been holding on and then they have a painful experience. Whereas if we can keep the bowels regular, and it, it really doesn't matter what, age you are so it, it's great yeah for, of course for children but even people who are caring for someone with dementia uh, yes. that, that if you can get those bowels before the particularly before the dementia progresses too far just to get them in the habit of sitting there at those times it can really help to eliminate issues later on just recently i saw that a physiotherapist in the states said if you are passing a bowel movement that is like a long skinny pencil it's another sign that your pelvic floor is too tight. And so I think finding that balance between firm enough to support but not too tight where you can't actually do a bowel motion, mm. it's, um, it, it's, it's, it, it's like a, it's a balancing act. Yeah. I guess the pinnacle of all poos is basically a smooth, thin sausage that's easily passed is what you're after. Sure. I guess women who experience any sexual dysfunction it can be from a, a tight pelvic floor yes. as well, that it's just really uncomfortable for them. And so that's something uh, pelvic floor physios can be really good at, at teaching some down training Yes. Uh, or continence nurses. So instead of trying to tighten those muscles, it's learning how to relax well, them. Like melting butter was the best analogy I've ever heard. Okay. If you think about a pan, it's just getting really hot and you put that knob of butter in and it slowly starts to melt down. Even as I'm saying it, I can feel, feel relaxing <laughs> a little bit. I'm glad you brought that up actually about sexual health and well-being because a lot of the women in our prolapse space suffer incontinence during sex just having either the pressure moving the prolapse up and then obviously unkinking that urethra and then experiencing incontinence. If anyone in our community is experiencing that, can they call your helpline as well? Is there anyone at the other end that can actually help them with that? Yeah, well, I think, again, that's where often a pelvic floor physio can help okay. a continence nurse. Like, as far as we can certainly give some practical advice regarding that, and I guess is that changing of position sometimes? Yes, that, that yeah, you just change your position. Make sure you've got adequate bedding protection if it's happening and you're still waiting to get it really assessed properly that you need to make sure you've got adequate bedding protection so you don't have to worry about cleaning your up. bed linen yeah. in the shower. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe worthwhile. Particularly, I think one thing that sometimes isn't, and I know when I was a midwife, initially I didn't know a lot about it, was that often when we're breastfeeding, our vagina's a lot drier. Uh, yeah. Make sure you've got lots of lubricant as well. And those sorts of things is really important for intercourse. And yeah, I guess they're probably the, the main things, you know, and, and women are often scared initially 
as well after they've given birth so yeah you just got to take it slowly we interviewed a sex therapist in and she just echoed the exact same thing as you said so it's nice to hear it a couple of times to say it's okay to put bedding protection down you don't have to be embarrassed once you do that because it's also meaning that you're probably going to have more confidence to start a conversation with your sexual partner about why you need to do that and that it's not there's nothing wrong with that if there is urination during sex or if there's leakage of some sort I don't know how the women do it with fecal incontinence though and I I assume they just don't but the shower is something I've never heard of or thought of myself before so I don't know I don't yeah it's a hard one isn't it yeah and I guess yeah as you say it's opening up that conversation with your intimate partner and also making sure you're getting professional help with that as well and look there are you know some women who have always sort of when they climax may experience some incontinence as well and I I just I mean even just having this conversation is amazing because we are just and I don't want to say making it normal because as you said it's not normal but we are normalizing the conversation that it's okay to say these things out loud because no doubt you think your partner's thinking the worst of it chances are which is something I learned probably doesn't even notice that much yeah, because and, there's and that's, so much yeah, going exactly. on anyway, yep. Yep. you know. Yep. We think about it because it's very present in our life when you are leaking and things like that. Now, I'm just so grateful for products like period underpants and incontinence underpants like Modi Body because the alternatives were not suitable for someone like me in my 30s and 40s wearing a pad. Is that something that the Continents Foundation supports as well if you can't have the treatment or reverse it? Yeah. Well, certainly if you're experiencing any leakage, no one wants to be walking around with wet pads and we don't want you becoming socially isolated and staying inside because it's just not good for your mental health and it's really everything's just going to be on a downhill spiral. Sure. So if... Wearing a product, and as you say, there's some great washable products out there now, mm-hmm. which are just normal looking undies, yeah. and they have that protection in it, and of course, better for the environment and those sorts of things. Yeah, by all means, if you need to use a product, that's what you need to do mm-hmm. at the moment. But certainly, our aim would be to get you off those products as soon as okay. we can with the proper advice and help, is okay. certainly the aim. It'd be yeah. interesting, this is one of my curiosity minds again, going, you probably would never hear back from the women who and men who you support and get from that level to a level where they don't no longer need support. They probably wouldn't ring back and say, hey, thanks, that really worked, would they? Yeah, look, it, occasionally, very yeah. occasionally, but we tend to, on the helpline to only hear from those who are experiencing some issues or are wanting to be proactive to stop them from happening. Yeah, which Later seems, on. seems yeah. a smart thing to do. Do you are you inundated with calls? Yeah, yeah. I think I know certainly my friends and work colleagues at my other place are sort of surprised at how many people do actually call us. So if we can't pick up the phone, please leave a voicemail and we will definitely get back to you. Okay, that's um, good to know. Now we're open eight AM to eight PM Monday to Friday Eastern Standard Time. Okay. And as I said, we're all continence nurses on the phone, so we can give you all practical advice on yeah management, how to improve things, 
Okay. Yeah. And that's a free service, isn't it? It is. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Especially for someone who's listening right now, is experiencing this in silence, cannot get to the GP for whatever reason, because even my GP is like four weeks booked in advance, even though they're Medicare. And so they're like, well, where, where do I go? Where do I start? So this is a great place to start, isn't it? It is a really good place to start because we can give you just that practical advice straight off and and Mm. what to look for and also sometimes I guess we can help guide you as to what to ask your GP because some people say look my GP I just don't know what to ask them and they just say oh look don't worry about it you've you know it's normal you've had a baby and it no it's not normal (laughs) and so you know we can suggest they can be referred to as well yes and that's brilliant because a lot of women are dismissed a lot of women go to their male and female, but predominantly male GP, and they say, wait wait the six weeks. Come and see me in six weeks. And then after six mm. weeks, they're like, yep, you're fine. Or give it more time rather than looking for proactive ways to try and help now. Mm. Because being a new mum with a six-week-old baby is hard enough as it is. Mm. Isn't Very it? hard, yeah. And yeah. you don't want the extra layer of complexity of trying to navigate this space. So just lastly, what I, I know that the Continence Foundation do amazing things because I've obviously been on the website quite a lot myself. What other programs and initiatives can our listeners access via your website? Okay, so on our website, there's certainly a lot of different brochures that go th- right through the lifespan from children having continence issues through to men, women, mm-hmm. Uh, states, prolapses, those sorts of things. You can get practical information on that. There's also the referral. You can put in your postcode to try to work out what health professionals you can see in your area or, of course, ring the National Continence Helpline and we'll be able to help guide you with that. There's also about products as well if you need guide regarding products and where you can purchase them. Again, we can do that. So... Every year, World Continence Week, we tend to have a theme. So it might be on women's health, it might be on men's health, it might be on children, it might just cover everyone. So we have a different theme usually each year. Do we know what the theme is this year? I don't know. It's funny. We were just just talking about that. Listen to me trying to get the scoop. Exactly. I'll let you know once I know. We'll keep an eye out for it anyway. We've just done the the Great Dunny Hunt as well. It's been a bit of an initiative at the moment as well. We've got an app and we used it as a a children's playground the other day to find a toilet. But the the suburb where we were is so brand new. It's not even on Google Maps yet. Yep, yep. So we need to, how do people actually submit a public toilet for the app? Do they contact you directly? Yeah, I think if you go onto our website, you can go onto the, the Dunny Hunt. Okay, um, I'll check it and out for you. Through, through there and if yep. anyone's got new toilets and things, they can try to then add, they add them. Because it's really helpful to have yeah. that app whenever you go out if you are incontinent and you just need to, where is it? I just need to plan my day ahead knowing that there's a bathroom stop here, here and here. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the thing is that we don't encourage people to go to the toilet just in case, that yeah. you do go when you need to go. If we keep going to the toilet just in case, it can actually start to decrease the bladder capacity. I'm guilty. 
Janine. Okay. I'm so guilty yeah. of that because I'm so scared of getting caught out. Mm. What are we and meant to do? I guess you, you have strengthened your pelvic floor and those sorts of things in your pelvic floor physio. There's no signs of prolapse and other things that are compounding it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you'll start to gain more confidence in your body's ability. Okay. To, to also for those muscles to turn on when they're needed with that intra-abdominal pressure. Okay. Uh, if women or anyone's going sort of every hour, it just doesn't give the bladder time to fill up properly because the bladder's just a muscle like any other muscle mm-hmm. and needs to be exercised. Sure. And that's by filling up and squashing down to expel the urine. If it only gets a little bit of wee in it, it gets used to only holding a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Another thing that some people will do if they're experiencing any leakage is cut down on their fluid intake. Oh, which is crazy because then you get constipated. Done that too. It doesn't work. Don't do it. Do not do that, ladies. (laughs) No, because as you said, you can get constipated. That'll make your bladder worse. The other thing, the urine's usually more acidic and yellow. Yes. And again, the bladder doesn't like to hold it if it's really yellow. Yeah, and so it'll contract more and sort of increase that urinary urgency as well. These have been such amazing tips. So, so good. I guess the only one other thing, I guess, just going back to the sexual function, if women who experience uh, urinary tract infections, just that they are drinking enough, Mm -hmm. uh, they do wee post-intercourse as well. Okay. Because that every time we wee, we actually flush out any bugs that are trying to run up the wee tube. Okay. I love yeah, that Yeah, it's a way of flushing it yeah, out. Yeah, okay. Uh, but re- current urinary tracts certainly aren't normal as well. And that's something else on the helpline we can always talk about. Yeah, right. It seems like a really good, a great place to start for lots of things, lots and mm. lots of things. That's Definitely. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really can't wait to share this episode because I know that so many of our listeners are going to get And I hope they do call. I hope they find the courage to say, yep, I've had enough of hiding like this or living like this and I really want to do something. So thank you so much, Janine. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, this is such an important conversation, right? And we get it. Talking about prolapse can be hard enough. Then having the added complexity of incontinence is just, it's incredibly hard. And it's embarrassing for a lot of women to have to deal with these issues. It's so important for us to continue to have these conversations, to destigmatize it. Because as we said earlier, it is something that is so incredibly common. But just because it is common doesn't mean that it is normal. Now, this is why the Continence Foundation of Australia offers a range of options for you to receive support. And if you're based here in Australia, you can call the Continence Helpline for free and confidential advice on one 800 or if you are outside Australia, you can also download their free resources at continents.org.au. We would like to thank the Continence Foundation for bringing us this episode today. I hope that Steph is much better by the time the next episode rolls around and she'll be back here and joining you. And also, I just want to say a very big thank you for having me on this podcast episode. It's been a pleasure joining you. Until next time, bye for now. Bye. Bye.